Pardon me, sir, but what are you looking at? Is that by any chance the picture called the Pink Panther? Who's in it? Oh, it's David Niven. And Peter Sellers. How is he in the picture? <laughs> Rolls him in the aisle, eh? We must find that woman. This week, let's jump straight in. It's a lengthy conversation with my friend Gary Roger, um, all about Inspector Clouseau and the Pink Panther films. So, hope you enjoy. Gary, welcome to the show. Thank you very much indeed for the invitation. Uh, well, it's it's a it's been a long time coming because I guess the reason that you've not been on thus far is because you're not particularly a well, you're not a Goon Show fan. You didn't grow up listening to the Goons like many of my guests did, you know, via LPs or tapes or whatever. But I finally managed to sort of twist your arm to come on the show, guest on the show. And this week we're going to be talking about Inspector Clouseau, the character, and what do you call it? The, the Pink Panther film franchise, I yes. suppose. Yeah. Um, but Gary, I guess it's fair to say that uh i broke my podcasting duck with with you and um you and your co-host tilt from um the sitcom club and jaffa cakes for proust yes indeed yes and it seems so long ago now the, the sitcom club began in 2013 and originally it was an internet radio show which rapidly became a podcast and then we started having guest contributors on the show and what have you and you were good enough to come on quite a few times to discuss various shows and from there uh i think you you caught the podcasting bug and yeah you've 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 picked up the ball and you've run with it as the americans say <laughs> and and here you are now yeah uh, and and it's really nice that you've got this particular topic which is niche enough to be oh god there's a podcast about the goons but also is broad enough because there are so many different avenues you can take when you're talking about the performers themselves, mm -hmm. the episodes themselves, what those people did behind the scenes and beyond the guns and so on. I don't know what it is in my psyche. I, I think really we should begin this discussion like an episode of In the Psychiatrist Chair mm -hmm. because I don't know what it is, why I don't get... It's not Okay, it's not that I don't get the guns. I get it. There's just something there which is not clicking for me. I like all the people individually. And I would always keep an eye out, because my brother quite likes the goons, and would always keep an eye out for... Do you remember, sort of late 80s, the rarity of getting a goon show repeat or 
Hancock repeat or maybe even something like I'm sorry I'll read that again mm. and you got them on Radio 2 every once in a while quite often at Christmas time mm-hmm. as well mm-hmm. and you would make a point of actually recording it on a, you know, a C60 or something like that and so you'd know those episodes off by heart because you didn't get things like that on every week and so we'd always keep an eye out for those kind of things in the Radio Times and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. I remember all of those things from the late 80s mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but Anytime I, I listened to the, the Goon Show itself, I just for whatever reason it just wasn't wasn't happening for me, and I, I really can't 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 explain. Oh, look, it, so. it's, it's absolutely not for everybody, and and I can fully understand that. I mean, I I don't mind Hancock particularly, but I, I'm not I, I don't go out of my way to to collect Hancock or listen to Hancock even. <laughs> I much prefer Steptoe and Son. If we're talking about Golden and Simpson, I'm, I'm much more of a Steptoe fan. Um, so it's 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 different strokes for different folks, as they say. Uh, yeah. Um, you say about because obviously in the late eighties I wasn't living in this country. I was I was the other side of the world, and and you know I was spoilt because every week, every single week, fifty two weeks a year, they would be uh, repeating goon shows on the weekend on the national radio station. Um, I remember you and I talking at one point. Uh, we have something in common. <laughs> when it comes to because i used to get up very early i've said this before on this show i used to get up very early on a saturday morning five o'clock four o'clock five o'clock in the morning something like that because they'd, they'd repeat a show at, you know at five in the morning on a saturday morning a goon show and i'd get up and i'd get the tape recorder poised and i would have my finger over the button and it would start or I'd press record and then i'd either stay up and listen to it and then go back to bed or just go straight back to bed and then wake up to have a little present to listen to yeah um yeah. and i believe uh, i'm going to say two words to you plaza patrol <laughs> <laughs> now when you say we've got something in common i'm, I'm going to say yes we have but also <laughs> it, it's sort of dissimilar because you were getting up at a ridiculous hour to record basically a masterpiece of radio comedy i was setting the alarm to watch a succession of bloody awful single series ITV sitcoms being shown 10 years after they were originally broadcast and watching them on cable at half seven in the morning. <laughs> it, it's it's really not quite, it, it doesn't have the same cachet, do you know what I mean? Mm. It, it's like, you know, when you read like a biography of somebody uh, and how the, their influences and so on, and they always say, but oh yeah, they, I mean, like, well, like Peter Sellers himself, for example, about how he would obsessively listen to and watch the comedy that he enjoyed and so on. The story about Rowan Atkinson where he just constantly on a loop watched Jack Tatty uh, in the cinema. Things like that. Whereas if, if I, I'm, I'm not likely to, to ever warrant an entry in Who's Who but if I do I, I can't see any journalist opening my obituary with yeah half past eight on a, a Sunday morning he was there watching Richard O'Sullivan uh, in Trouble in Mind oh, on Granada Plus and Trouble the, the, in the, Mind the, yeah now the thing is, the thing is you see now this, this, is, this, is, this is the thing this is the way things work if we'd been having this conversation like a year ago people would be saying what's that Trouble in Mind remember that one but now thanks to the soon-to-be late lamented mm. forces tv a whole new generation has seen <laughs> the sitcom with richard o'sullivan as a psychiatrist who also appears to be extremely wealthy and is trying to work out whether he's got enough money in the bank 
to go and splurge on a boat, Yacht. for example. Mm. Yes, and uh, but I'm pretty sure at one point he actually buys his wife the Taj Mahal. <laughs> right. I may be misremembering, but yeah, I, I, I again, Doctor Claire, mm. the, there's there's something in there about. Okay, yeah, we've all seen Faulty Towers, we've all seen Blackadder, we've all seen Only Fools and what have you, but finding little instances of sitcoms that, for whatever reason, didn't enjoy massive success. <sighs> oh, what's that thing with Bernard Cribbins and Richard Wilson? High and Dry, which oh, is yeah. a television yeah. adaptation of a radio spin-off from Dad's Army, and it involves them buying... <laughs> a, a broken down pier and the entire thing is is in studio there was yes. no location filming at all things like that yeah, that's amazing that, that 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 that's i want to see a museum devoted to all this nonsense yeah, yeah well in, in my guise of dr anthony claire i'm steepling my fingers and nodding earnestly <laughs> and i'm gonna ask you was there some incident in your childhood gary um <laughs> <laughs> that made you cleave towards things like on the buses <laughs> Again, can't put my finger on this, but I do have something of a penchant, I suppose you could say, for the underdog. Mm. Quite often, if there's like a format war going on, I will get the wrong one. I will find myself <laughs> drawn to the one that's going to be obsolete in a few years. I drink Pepsi rather than Coke. Quite right. Well, yeah, mm. yeah, exactly. Yes. I'm sort of drawn towards the HP baked beans on the shelf rather than the Heinz, because everybody gets Heinz. Where's the fun in that? Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. I don't think it's contrarianism. I hope it isn't, because contrarians are a pain in the arse. So I don't know what your rating is on this podcast, by the way. So apologies if you have to bleep me saying arse there just now. You're, you're permitted two arses a show. Two arses. That's, well, that's, a, that's the third now, so you have to bleep that one. And we stay away from the F-bombs. Okay. Certainly, right. certainly, well away from the C bombs. Oh, uh, okay. Mm. Right. Well, no, no. So, so, so Gary, I'm afraid you're really going to have to. You, you really, yeah, you really are. You're, you're, you're putting considerable restraint on my, my ability to <laughs> converse here. But I, I feel that we've already massively feared away from the, uh, the, the topic. Yeah, that's um, fine. That's fine. I mean, I enjoy these conversations. Um, so, you know, this week we're going to be talking about mainly Peter Sellers as Inspector Clouseau. But, you know, other Sellers films or even Spike on TV or, or even Harry or Benteen, Mike Benteen, you know, what is there anything that sort of sticks in your mind from being a mere babe in arms watching the, you know, the television through the 80s and into the 90s? So I was born in 77, so I'm really too young to remember Sellers being around. Mm. Um, sadly, Sellers, for me, was was like John Lennon. He was he was like the one that that was deceased. You know, it, it just as, yeah. as far as when I was growing up, it was just like, oh, he's the one who's he's not around anymore. And Spike Milligan, of course, yeah, absolutely loved Spike Milligan's stuff. I, I didn't get to see a lot of Q because I don't remember Q getting a lot of repeats in the eighties. But I remember at the time in eighty two, when I was far far too young to appreciate it, and then. It got a compilation repeat, I think, in '89. What, what did, he wanted it to be called Q10, and it was it was titled "There's a lot of it about." Yeah, and I was in hyster 
hysterics watching that <laughs> in '89. I think it was a two-part compilation they put out. Uh, and I finally got to see all of them many, many years later. This one, this one skit, right? You know when you can't really explain why it is that something just catches your your, your funny yeah. bone and just sets you off. Mm-hmm. It's like a Catherine wheel. Things like um, Alexis Sale doing a song about silly noises on the young ones, for example, mm. and me seeing that when I was like seven mm. and just think it was the funniest thing I'd ever seen or ever was going to see. There was an instance in that series, there's a lot of it about. He's For some reason, he's playing a clip of Laurel and Hardy in Swiss Miss when they're, I think they're trying to carry piano over a bridge and there's a monkey involved as well as getting in the way and he's playing this 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 clip and it po- a caption pops up live from Oslo and it just <laughs> absolutely set me off I was just I, mean, I must be kicking for about 10 minutes straight <laughs> at that what is it about <laughs> any particular gag that just just sent you around yeah. the twist I, I can't I can't explain it but yeah so I always liked Spike Milligan's bits and pieces, and of course he was an ever-present figure. He was always turning up in quite. I mean, at that time, I think he did he did a narration on a children's series. The ra- uh, Ratties, yeah, yeah. That was his. Um, that was his daughter's uh, co-creator. His daughter co-created that show, actually. Ah, oh, right. Mm. Okay, so he he would have been, he would have been in, uh, like just ever-present. That there's one of my favourite sitcoms of all, Early Doors. Oh, yeah. Craig Cash mm. and Phil Mealy. Mm. There's a line in that where uh, the principal character's mother, she's she's praying at night and she's she's gone off on a tangent about, you know, I always try and watch songs of praise. It's not the same since they modernised it with Alad. And then she says, oh, I, I, I do miss Harry Seacombe's Highway. And then she adds, he was in Goons, you know. <laughs> that just is a that is a perfect summing up of every time somebody would have mentioned Harry Seacombe in that era. Yeah. When he's on every single Sunday night, yeah. people would say, hey, he used to be in the Goons. Yeah. Be like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and Michael Benteen, I think probably was, was the chap I was familiar with the least because uh, I don't really remember Potty Time getting really any repeats in the 80s. Yeah, well, he, he uh, wasn't on telly much in the 80s. Really, no. I think uh, other than you know talk shows, I guess, but yeah. Um, but you watch. I know that you and Tilt watched um, the Sandwich Man as part of oh. Jaffa Cakes for Proust. Um, yes, <clears throat> and didn't ask me. Um, well, the, you you've 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 bottled that up all this time, and now is is, is the moment <laughs> in which you choose to to, to let this out. <laughs> no, I, Sandwich Man's an oddity because well, it's not an oddity because of this, obviously, but. I'd stumbled across it one Sunday morning. Gold went through this odd little period in 2012 of showing British comedy films early on a Sunday morning and not the ones that you would necessarily expect them to be shown, not any carry-ons or anything like that. And there was this strange little thing and I just happened upon it at the beginning and I was still there at the end of it. Yeah. And yeah, it's just a lovely little film where just you just meander. I'm just going to lean into the microphone here. Um, and, and of course... We, we have got access and we have watched a couple of episodes of um, uh, a certain Spike Milligan sitcom from the 1970s, <laughs> haven't we, Gary? Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
yeah, but if you're looking for this on BritBox, don't. Because <laughs> uh, it ain't coming anytime soon. I don't, I don't think that's insider trading. I, I, think, I think that's... I think yeah, that's, I think it's safe. safe that's fairly safe. Mm. Yeah, I think it's a silly, fairly safe bet. But, um, yeah, we, we, we did stumble across a little while ago. We stumbled across the melting pot, which is... Actually, I mean, I suspect that most of your listeners will know mm. what it is. Mm. But I didn't know until we happened across these a little while ago. I didn't know that, that Sellers himself was initially penciled in mm. for that with Milligan. And as is so often the case, particularly as it seems with, with Sellers, because you remember, I, I think I introduced you a little while ago to those uh, wonderful two little documentaries with Bob Monkhouse, mm. mm-hmm. where he is he's just... He's he's just sat there. He's just telling stories. He's, he's just elaborating on on the people that he'd worked with over the years. Another little story that he told about Peter Sellers being booked on Celebrity Squares, yeah, and then him getting a phone call from Sellers who said, "I'm ever so sorry, I I completely forgot. I had to go to New York." And things like this, a one-off pilot, and there is it's like, oh, it's Peter Sellers that was in it. It's like, bloody hell and then for whatever reason clash you know he's he's not there i think john bird maybe had about three days notice yeah. to step into the breach and uh yeah it's it, it's it's a plea for racial tolerance and harmony um mm. Mm. <laughs> uh yeah well at least that's probably how it was but there's a goat running around isn't there in, in yes the boarding yeah, house and we got, yeah. we got you got um frank carson and yeah, a little, little, little bit of Frank Carson goes a long way with me. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, yeah. No, I think, I mean, Sellers, Sellers was famous for making lousy decisions in terms of what he was going to, you know, what projects he was going to work on. And he, yeah, yeah, particularly in, shall we say, the sort of late 60s, early 70s. But I think he probably made the right call in terms of not not working <laughs> yes. on um, the melting pot. This hospital is in a terrible state. Oh, no, the hospital's all right. We're in a terrible state. Ah! No, no. Mrs. Barbara Castle has closed down all the private wards, so all the private people are going into the public national health wards. Look after our privates. Yes. <laughs> anyway, we're going to just talk about Inspector Clouseau as a character. We're going to talk about the, the Pink Panther franchise, um, but we're not necessarily going to analyse every single film in detail because my favourite Peter Sellers film of all time is A Shot in the Dark, and I, and I certainly want to cover that in detail in, the, in a, you know in a future show so we had the i mean the pink panther it was 1963 it was the the first appearance of the cluso character um and he certainly was not intended in any way to be the star of the film but yeah. he you know he went into the film as a supporting character and he came out of the film the star let's face it and and I think that the role in the script originally was was fairly slight, and then Sellers and and Blake Edwards between them they hit upon different bits of business for the character to to do and 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 uh, just enlarge the role. And yeah, we watched it recently again, and his bits with Colin Gordon particularly were yes. delightful, weren't they? Yes, it's okay. Now I'm going to run this through the fact checker, namely yourself. Mm. Is it true that Peter Ustinov was originally earmarked for the role of Cluzo? Yes, he was. So I've always 
I've always had a hard time sort of imagining Houston off in this role, but I think the reason for that is, as you say, because Sellers is coming up with so many little bits of business with Edwards that I'm then trying to sort of visualise Houston off doing all of those kind of physical bits and pieces, and I just can't can't see that at all. I think that Ustinov's closer would have been much more static. Well, he, he would have he been, been more like um, Poirot as Ustinov played him in yeah. in the 70s. Um, yeah. yeah, so Ustinov turned it down because he was going to make a film called Top Carpy, which is a brilliant film, which I love. And uh, um, ended up, I think he got the Oscar for, was it Best Actor or Best Supporting Actor for Top Carpy? Um and I think Sellers had been offered the role as well that Houstonoff. So they, so they basically swapped roles essentially. But it was it was fortuitous. I mean, Sellers had come off the back of uh, he, you know he was he, his career was accelerating at this time, sixty three, and he'd you know he'd made Lolita with Stanley Kubrick. He'd made a string of successful British films and films like The Millionaires as well, which were gaining you know more of an international audience. And this this. This was the film, I think. This was pre-Strange Love, though. This was the film that really elevated him. And I think that when he was cast as Clouseau and he first met Blake Edwards, they both realised that they both enjoyed, they both loved, had a love of the silent comedians, the Buster Keatons and uh, Harold Lloyds. And I think that was the sort of starting point for them enlarging the scope of the character in the Pink Panther, and I think David, I think David Niven, from all accounts, was fairly cheesed off that it was his film, and he was the the rug was being pulled out from under his feet, essentially. Are you drawing a comparison between David Niven and Trevor Bannister, for example? Oh, now there's an interesting little rabbit hole to, to disappear down. <laughs> yeah, now do you want to do you want to explain what that means? Okay, so I'm not aware of Trevor Bannister actually saying this mm. out loud mm. uh, in as many words, but it was an impression that you were given when you heard him talk about his role in Are You Being Served. Trevor Bannister had been the star of a sitcom beforehand, The Dustbin Men, yeah. written by Jack Rosenthal. And so when, so when Are You Being Served began, he was, along with Molly Sugden, he was being given top billing. The show was sort of built around him as the newest recruit into Grace Brothers. But as the series goes on, other characters, in particular Mr Humphreys, John Edman, start coming to the fore. And the bits that Trevor Bannister's got over the years become fewer and fewer. And it's, it's, a lot of it's reading between the lines, but when you heard cast members talking about, you know, how much fun it was to work with each other and, and the names that they would drop about who was friends with whom and, and all this kind of thing, you just sort of get a sense that Trevor Bannister wasn't particularly delighted with mm-hmm. his sort of shrinking billing. Yeah, I think what what might have also possibly caused some sort of waves and what have you. He didn't appear on the stage shows either because he was already established, an established stage performer with with his own sort of physique command and so on. So I think that possibly might have sort of you know, 
mid waves as well and so on and eventually of course he ends up leaving the, the show and doesn't return for the, for the sequel so yeah yeah it, it, it that was a silly flight fancy but yeah no it, Again, it, it, it yeah. it's it's very valid it's i never thought of it like that but absolutely the 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 nominal star who's gradually in the case of trevor bannister immediately in the case of david niven overshadowed by um a, a relative unknown we'll say because um, yeah. inman hadn't really done very much had he he'd worked with barry howard on the stage oh yeah i mean uh, yeah in terms of in terms of a cv i mean he had a very very long career already in terms of stage performances and pantomime and so on and he'd also worked on, on sitcoms in the past but he'd never had a, a starring vehicle yeah so speaking of uh, leading actors uh being hacked off others uh, having um bigger roles or getting laughs when are you going to start the hilda baker podcast on your nelly can i just say yeah um i would urge people to although uh, you've been a bit slack recently uh in the last couple of years in terms of frequency of sitcom club episodes gary very much very much so yes indeed yes Yes, sadly, uh, the real world has gotten away mm. of um, the uh, Sitcom Club Jaffa Cakes podcast production in recent years. But uh, fingers crossed. Absolutely. Uh, it'll be all systems go for later in the year. But I would urge people to to check it out. And particularly, uh, I would say a really good starter episode is uh, one of your earliest ones, I think, which is about um, you, you talk about the sitcom, the Hilda Baker sitcom, Not in Your Nelly which is a, a copper-bottomed, stonking, uh, thrill-filled, um, hilarious uh, examination of the um, the seminal 1970s sitcom starring uh, the redoubtable Hilda Baker. I know. I tried to be posh, but it didn't come off. All my dreams and all my thoughts are absolutely prostitute on the ground. <laughs> We often joke about do the Germans have a word for such and yeah, yeah. what have you. Now, if if there are any German speakers out there who could confirm if there's a word for this, I would quite like to know <laughs> because it, it's it's such a uh, well, it, it, it's a unique set of circumstances. Is there a word for the overall feeling aura that you get when you are at the back of a National Express coach? en route from Glasgow to Manchester for a job which you sort of wish you hadn't taken but you can't get out of now um, and you are watching on an iPod Touch an episode of Not On Your Nelly uh, Soccer 2012 um, I, there, there was a point, I had a sort of out of body experience where I suddenly realised yeah, this has never happened before will never happen again uh, so yeah, if anybody <laughs> could could come up with a def- definition for that, very very um, specific it, set of circumstances there. It, it really it really is, isn't it? Yeah. But there's just there's something tangible about that. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Any, anywho, um, <laughs> Pink Panther. Pink Panther. Yes. <laughs> God. Um, so so yeah so obviously Sellers went to stratospheric, I suppose, off the back of Pink Panther, and then. Um, Blake Edwards had been lined up, as I understand it, Blake Edwards had been lined up to to shoot a film based on a stage play, which um, he he hurriedly rewrote, repurposed 
as a vehicle for Salas, for the Cluso character. And as I said before, it's, it is my favorite Peter Sellers film of all time. And, and, and that's off the back of the fact that back in the 80s, um, the local video shop in the sleepy little burg that I grew up in didn't have a huge selection. But what it did have was uh, a, a, a well-worn VHS copy of A Shot in the Dark. And probably every, every other week I would you know, beg my older sister to rent it, get it out, and my dad to pick it up on his way home from work and I'd watch it you know I knew it off by heart back to front inside out and it's comfort viewing for me I will stick that on you know even today at any and I, and I know it word for word and it never fails to amuse me I think it's Sellers I think it's Sellers strongest uh, Cluso appearance um, it's got characters such as you know, Graham Stark as Hercule is fantastic. It's got Turk Thrust. It's got the famous scene at the, the nudist colony. But to me, it is the the Ur Clouseau film, if you like. And it's also where we first encounter Dreyfus and Cato. Oh, of course. Yes, of course. And we'll come back to both in a minute. Um, but what's your, in terms of A Shot in the Dark, what's your history with it? So it was, probably still is, the, the, the Clouseau film of seen the least because I watched it with yourself and that was the first time I'd ever oh, seen it. Oh, really? Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and for whatever reason, I don't know why, I don't know why it always sort of eluded me. It was like, I was aware of it and I knew of it and knew its place in the, the canon, but for whatever reason, just hadn't seen it. And yes, it is. It's, it's very enjoyable. It's very it's, it's very cosy. You know, I know what you mean by when you say it's like comfort viewing because uh, it visually it looks superb, and and there's there's, also... there's a lot of there's a lot of what I can only call a rule of three comedy in it in terms of the same gag essentially repeated. Cluso disguising himself in elaborate disguises and getting arrested because he doesn't have a permit. Good morning. Good morning. I'm the game warden. Do you have a hunting license? Hunting license. And the beginning of the film, the pre-credit sequence. Yes, I was, I was going to mention that. Yeah, because it's, it's got a very distinctive opening, hasn't it? Mm. Um, but yes, it's got Herbert Lum as Commissioner Dreyfus. Yes. Who, when we first see him, he's a he was a respectable uh, head of the Sûreté or whatever he is. Yeah. Um, obviously, Sellers and and Lom had worked together on the Lady Killers. Ah, yes. And as the series would progress, Dreyfus would become more and more unhinged. Um, I, I think that's I think that's putting it mildly. <laughs> <laughs> I think, to all intents and purposes, I mean, the film was a success, and it was around the time it was around this time Sellers met Brit Eklund, and then. Not too long after that, he had his series of heart attacks, and then he kind of, you know, yeah, he made a few more good films, and then had his sort of wilderness period, I suppose, if you want to call it that. But I know that he was approached about making another Clouseau film in the late '60s, as was Blake Edwards. Both declined. I think they were working on the Party at the time, around this time, '68. There was a film made called Inspector Clouseau, which. Uh, brought into Alan Arkin and we watched it and 
well, my first. I can't remember. Did you have had you seen the Alan Arkin Clouseau before, Gary? Before we watched it for this. So, yeah, let me think now. So yes, yes, I had. As a family, we rented it probably about 91, 92, and I was already aware that it wasn't Peter Sellers, but thought, ah, what the heck, mm. whatever not. And I really couldn't remember anything about the first time I'd seen it. And it was it was actually quite a pleasant surprise because it wasn't it wasn't Alan Arkin trying to do Sellers as Clouseau. He, he was making the role his own. His Sellers had a bit more... Not not misplaced confidence, but he he was a bit more he was a l- little bit less gauche. He was a little bit more There's a bit so more grit, a bit more grit. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. And I love Alan Arkin. From this period, he made one of my favourite films, which is Wait Until Dark with Audrey Hepburn, in which he played a psychopathic killer, basically, <laughs> who terrorises a blind woman. Yeah, it was a perfectly fine film, perfectly fine. What what do you call those sort of films of the period? International comedy. It, yeah, you know. It, it, yes, it, it looks like a uh, sort of comedic persuaders. Yes, you know, that, that that sort of low grade ITC. Yes, you know, get me Sophia Loren on the phone, like that, that kind of thing. Where it's, it's all it's all glamorous locations and, and, and what have you. It's just perfectly suited for, you know, we we can sell this, you know, for color TV in the future, that kind of thing. So yeah, I mean, it, it's a. I think I would I would describe it as a Sunday afternoon film. I must admit, I didn't make a lot of notes when I was watching it, and a lot of it 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 hasn't really stayed with me. And um, the only the only thing the only bits that really stick in my mind, particularly apart from Arkin's general performance, is saucy old Beryl Reed trying to um, get a leg over with Clouseau, basically. <laughs> Well, it's time for me to take my leave, dear lady. I, I, I must get my beauty rest. The day is And I'm well in the morning. But the time has come. Why are you so shy? My, your husband! Oh, you fool, you crazy idiot! Get away! Are you Inspector Clouseau? Yes. Commissioner Braithwaite sent me to fetch you. Uh, what took you so long? <laughs> <laughs> okay, we, okay we, we do this all the time yeah. uh, in private, yeah. <laughs> dear listeners. But, um, okay, recasting suggestion. Okay. okay. Yeah. So, for what, no criticism of Beryl Reed, but just let's say she's not available. Yeah. Youth of choice. <laughs> Youth of choice. At that period... She was still she was still just about playing the Dolly Bird uh-huh. characters, yeah. wasn't she? Yeah. Um, yes. Whereas I, I could I could I could definitely see her just like setting eyes on, on Alan Arkin's clues on thinking. Yeah. 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 yeah I'm gonna have him. Yep. Well, it, 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 I, what about Margaret Rutherford? <laughs> <laughs> see, these kind of conversations usually arrive at Rita Webb, but. <laughs> I think you've you've just you've you've bounded right over over there and just yeah you've 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 hit Mornington Crescent already. Yeah, I know. Um, but I, I think it's it's safe to say that the Inspector Clouseau film, nineteen sixty eight, Alan Arkin. I think it it it's a perfectly enjoyable, like you say, Sunday afternoon film. Okay, give give me a maximum sixty seconds on this. Okay. 
Okay, because otherwise I could just go on and on. Go on. Right, okay. Again, favouring the underdog coupled with having an interest in oddities, ephemera, all that kind of stuff. I do have a, a particular fondness for Never Say Never Again. And I'm not generally a Bond film fan. Mm. I, I, I've, I've seen maybe, I don't know, half a dozen Bond films all the way through. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet I'm fascinated by the the whole concept of there's a pirate Bond film coming out <laughs> at the same time as a real one. Now, just let, let's just slightly adjust the parameters. Just tinker with the universe a little bit. And then let's have Inspector Clouseau coming out at the same time as a Peter Sellers Pink Panther film. Mm. How bizarre that would have been. Mm. And, I mean, as well as obviously no Peter Sellers, we have no Dreyfus, Cato, in Inspector Clouseau with Alan Arkin. So again, you've got similarities with Sean Connery's unofficial bond. Uh, oh, and there's, there's no Mancini score. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes, indeed. And of course, no like you said, no Blake Edwards. Mm. So yeah, I, I yeah, that that would be fascinating mm. if it was two if it was two clues at the same time in the cinema. <laughs> never say never again. Did he actually was he actually James Bond? Was was Yes. Right. Okay. Yeah. So I I don't know the ins and outs of it, but there was there was some sort of legal loophole where it was effectively a retelling of a story. I think it was Thunderball the rights were owned by a particular guy who was then able to sort of exploit them by retooling it, and then he could get this unofficial bond. And obviously, you've got no, say, Desmond Llewellyn. You don't have the the shot at the opening with the the gun, you know, the yeah, yeah, yeah. circle. You don't have any of that kind of mm. um, imagery. Since that time, it's been incorporated. So now it's sort of supposedly part of the, the set. If you if you went off and got a whole bond set, it would be in there. But at the time, it came out at the same time as uh, Octopussy with Roger mm. Moore. Mm. Yeah, okay, but you say it's now more or less treated as canonical. It's part of the the set. Um, what Bond film was out in 1967? Was it? Uh-huh. Was it? Um, you never. Was that? You only lived that, twice. You only lived twice. Yeah. Yes, I think so. Yeah. And, and yeah. there was another Bond film out at hey. that time. <laughs> <laughs> to quote to quote a line from uh, I think it's Tucker in the thick of it you are the worst actually it might be Jamie you are the worst James Bond ever you're David Nevin <laughs> and I've slightly cleaned that up but yeah, yeah. um yeah no that okay, okay that that in itself is a fascinating little oddity how that comes about and Right. Can can you can you make a note, right, mm-hmm. to, to to what what we normally did on, on on I don't want to change the format of your show by any means, but what we normally do on the sitcom club slash Jaffa Cakes, if we say something and we're not sure about it or we've got it wrong, we'll ring a little bell, ding a ling a ling, and until we'll jump on with a correction. Yes. Okay. Yes. So mm. can I ask you yeah. to do exactly that right now after what I'm about to say? Yeah. All right. My memory is that this business about how you never see Sellers and Orson Welles on the screen at the same time is not true. Because I remember I was watching Casino Royale and I'm pretty sure there was one, at least one shot where you do see them both sat at the table at the same time. However that was achieved. Split screen, I don't know. But, uh, I, I, okay, absolutely. Around this point, listeners will be hearing me uh, either correcting you, calling you a <laughs> bloody fool, um, or conceding that you are correct. 
It's, it's quicker just to call me a bloody fool. <laughs> Save a lot of time. Uh, I checked with a friend of the show and Salas expert, Mark Cousins, and um, Mark came back to me. He said um, at the one hour, 33 minute point in the movie, uh, they can clearly be seen, Sellers and Orson Welles can clearly be seen together in a shot. Uh, he says that the talk was that it was shot separately, but I'm not sure it can be true. And I've looked at the photo and yeah, it looks pretty legit. I think possibly it was um, one of the sort of uh, early shots. And it was soon after that, that Sellers saw his backside for whatever reason, some imagined slight or just general feeling of intimidation, I guess. Um, wrong, wrongly, of course. And I think he, this was the period that he um, went off for three days, just disappeared for three days. Uh, and after that, every shot was shot separately. So anyway, hope that clears that up. Back to the show. So fast forward to the mid-70s. And both, both Peter Sellers and Blake Edwards are looking around for a hit. And as I understand it, Lou Grade, so Lou Grade himself, yes. had this idea of bringing back Clouseau um, for an ATV television series. I think there was a certain amount of arm twisting going on, wasn't there? Because I think that was Blakehead was not contracted to make two films. And the second film that he pitched, Grade wasn't keen on. And Edwards had this script that he'd had for a while for the return of the Pink Panther. He had this synopsis. And Grade picked that up. Uh, and... I think maybe Edwards, did he not agree to do it on the basis that, that it would be Sellers that was in it? And then I think the grade had to then get to work on Sellers, mm. convince him, mm. and so on, so on. So it sounds like there was an awful lot of um, sort of hoops to be jumped through to get it. But uh, I think the result, I know how you feel about Shot in the Dark. Personally, I think Return of the Pink Panther, I think, is just absolutely the best film in the series i think it just everything just comes together so well in that yeah, everybody yeah. everybody seems to be because i think it's just it's a little bit before settler's health is really stopping him from from you know being able to work quite as physically as, as he once could yeah um all the parts just seem to click here even even things like henry mancini's score just seems on another level here the the amount of because I think the film's just under two two hours, I think about an hour and fifty three thereabouts. And I went back, had a look at it before we were talking today, and I wanted to make sure that my memory wasn't playing tricks on me. Um, the amount of space that is given to individual sections of this film seems now almost like a, a luxury. Uh, the the heist, for example, which is a, a brilliant scene. It is, the opening yeah. of the film. That's nine minutes. And it's, it's nine minutes largely without laughs. It's, it's largely played straight and so on. There's a scene with Cluzo as he's, he's dolled up as a telephone repairman. <laughs> yes. You've got the business he's doing with, with Dave Lodge, who I think might have been in another film that, one point, but the name escapes me. Can you? Can Dave, you... Dave Lodge was um, in a. Sh in a sh oh, sorry. <laughs> God. I was just waiting for the pennies to drop. Jeez. Yeah, Dave, Dave Lodge, he was in a film. He was in um, Clock of Show Heroes, don't you know? Hey.
But um, I mean that that scene is is eight minutes straight. Uh, there's a scene with Cluzo in the hotel, uh, with Mike Grady, Claire uh, <laughs> yes. Davenport, and others. That's twelve minutes. Yeah. yeah. And it's largely, I think, that particular scene. I think actually, both the the, the scene when he's in Lytton's house and the scene when he's in his, I think they're largely without incidental music as well. Yes. And yes. Yeah. Just, just I, I think giving a performer that amount of space to do what they do best and tr- just you know trusting them with the fact that they're going to come up with gold it would be fascinating to be able to hear the the dialogue between sellers and edwards when they were coming up with the little details and just finding out what the 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 genesis was of all the little bits of business uh, that when there are just so many little details uh packed into those scenes yeah the the overall pacing of the film, I think, it, there's, there's never a point where you think, you know, oh, we're pushing, we're almost two hours here. It it just, it flies by. And it, yeah, but it manages, to, yeah, it flies by, but it also couples having some very long scenes that just completely bring you in. Uh, and yeah, it's, it's obviously you can tell that I'm, I'm just such a fan of, of this particular one. Um, but... It, 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 I think it, to me this this is this is clue, this is Settlers' peak. There's it's it's not got the wacky slapstick that tended to creep in mm-hmm. in the next couple of films. It's very telling that Catherine Shell, who plays Lady Lytton, so close to corpsing so many occasions, and yes. they, and they left it. It's a bit speaking of corpsing being left in films, <laughs> Gary. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and is it is it right? We we have to find some sort of tenuous goon related link with "Come Play with Me" so that we can talk about it on the podcast, and I can make you watch it uh, because I've seen it, and so now I feel that other people have to mm. because I don't want to be the only person that I know who has seen all of "Come Play with Me," uh, which features is it Telford Thomas. Talfran Thomas, uh, Welsh actor, uh, probably most famous for appearing in one series of Dad's Army. Mm. Um, just yeah, he just corpses uh, in in a scene, and allegedly the the uh, the director George Harrison Barks was um, three sheets to the wind at the time and didn't even notice <laughs> that it happened, and so it made the final cut. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, Catherine Shaw, she is she's at one point she is laughing, isn't she? Just that, yeah. and you think, okay, is is it because the character Lady Lytton knows that it's Cluso in disguise and she's just but but I think it's a bit of both really, isn't it? I think it's genuine yes. genuine enjoyment. looking at you, kid. <laughs> Dreyfus, of course, ends up at the end of the film in a rubber room, essentially. <laughs> I, I know that um, on different podcasts, I think, Tilton and I have discussed, because, I, again, we always go back to just, just, just for the hell of it, we always go back to recasting ideas. And I think that we, we talked before about how David Nobb's original idea or original suggestion for who he wanted to play Reginald Perrin was Ronnie Barker. Yeah. 
Uh, and I know that Tilted said about how, yeah, Ronnie Barker's parent having a breakdown would be amusing, but it would be different from... Yeah, yeah. Leonard Rossiter, yeah. You, 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 you of, I think uh, you get the sense of Rossiter's uh, just descent into madness is a bit more sort of real. Dreyfus trying to bump off Cluzo is, I suppose, if, if you were making like a clip show of, of recognisable bits of Pink Panther films, that would be in there. Whereas the scene earlier on in The Office where he's, he's telling him, I want you dead. I want to kill you. Mm. And he's going after them with the, the gun that's the lighter and so on. Mm. That he, he really, he's just, he's, he's, he's cracking up right there and then. Mm. It's almost like you're seeing he's actually, he's now over the, the tipping point. Uh, and <laughs> if you just, if you edited it in a slightly different manner, it would really come across as quite bleak. It would. It would. Yeah. <laughs> you mentioned Rossiter. And obviously he turns up in the next film in um, yeah. Pink Panther Strikes Again. <clears throat> and you, you mentioned about this, this you, you want, you know, you're asking listeners to come up with a German word to describe sitting on the back of a bus watching <laughs> Not In Your Nelly. You're, you're leaving out a lot of very, very important detail there, but yeah. yeah we'll, we'll while, while feeling sort of um, <laughs> conflicted about your future. <laughs> Um, but is watching Hilda Baker did not help. I'll, I'll, I'll just I'll just add that. Right. So around this time we got Return of the Pink Panther, then followed by Strikes Again, Pink Panther Strikes Again, and then Revenge of the Pink Panther. And there should be a word for the for the indefinable, not insignificant thrill, I suppose, of seeing British sitcom actors pop up in such international Hollywood yes. films. Okay, so yes. you mentioned yeah. Ella, uh, Mike Grady. Uh, I'm thinking Rossiter, of course, although Rossiter had turned up in things like Barry Lyndon and um, 2001. Um, but Tony Simpson. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Michael Robbins, of course, famously. Uh-huh. Uh, Alfie yeah. Bass. And, and, you, and you're uh, watching these people and you know that that you know that big noises at the time like Burt Reynolds yes. yeah. will have been watching Mike Grady doing some business as a bellboy and yeah exactly yeah Jill- Julian Orchard in uh Revenge mm-hmm. in the same year that he's on the three two one Christmas special <laughs> Jeffrey Belden uh, um, yes oh god right okay mm. how many different shrinks did Dreyfus have he Peter Jones didn't he Does yeah he- Peter Jones Peter Jones is strangled yeah yeah then he had Jeffrey Belden yeah. Then he had Ferdy Main yeah. in Revenge. Mm. Right. Can anybody remember who he had in Trail with an absurd French accent? No. Ronald Fraser. Oh. <laughs> yeah. But, um, okay. Strikes again. Mm. The joy of... The, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not being... Uh, an old fart in the night or anything and, and saying our oh, kids today you know they've got it made or they, they don't know it and so on but it's fair to say that if you're around in the pre-internet age that you really valued any piece of media that you had if it was a tape that you got at Woolworths if it was a tape that you recorded yourself off the TV mm. or radio recording or even just like a just like a monthly magazine 
yeah. you would read from cover to cover yeah. and probably reread several times and so on. All your books, you know, they, they all have, you know, like the corners will be turned up and what have you because you would have read them so many times. You you, you, you really treasured what you had mm. and you, you knew every bit of it inside out, like you said with the, the good recordings. So I had, um, I think the first time I would have seen Strikes Again, it was shown on ITV in September of 83, so I probably saw it then. Later on, for reasons I can't really explain, I had a Betamax video recorder, a top loader, in 1991. <laughs> Again, no explanation available. Uh, and I had a copy of Strikes Again on Betamax. Wowzers. And I just, I know every single frame of that film. The number of times I would have seen it. Of course, you know, at, at that point, when tapes have been released, there, there, there's no widescreen. So the whole thing is pan and scan. Mm, you know? mm. So I even remember like how certain shots were framed, mm. and yeah, just I can't I can't believe just how many times I would have watched that tape. But yeah, just just knowing um, every line that's coming, every sound effect, and so on, and uh, surely the only film we don't we don't know this for sure because I don't I don't think. I certainly haven't. I don't think you have. But I think we could be fairly sure this is the only film that has Michael Robbins dubbed by Julie Andrews. Yeah. Uh, and he, he's, he's got... Uh, yeah, he's given sort of elbow room here because he is initially Jarvis the butler. Yes. At the house of the professor who's been kidnapped uh, by Dreyfus. Yeah. Um, my absolute favourite Pink Panther series scene. Right. Which is Sellers uh, interviewing the members of the household. Oh, yes. Again, I was thinking about this last night before we, before we recorded today. And I, was, I was thinking, if this was a, a comedy film nowadays, I think that they would do it the other way around. Sellers comes in, he's met by Michael Robbins, Jarvis the butler, he then starts upstairs. He's looking around the exercise room. Has to go in the parallel bars. Goes flying off straight down the stairs <laughs> and into the room where all the household members slash suspects are gathered. <laughs> and then has his conversation with, with each of them. If that was a comedy film that was being made nowadays, I think that that would be done in such a way that he would have the conversation with the people and then it would all gear up to the big visual joke of him flying off mm, you know, mm. uh, and landing and so on and that would be it and then be cut okay mm. we're on to the next scene now. whereas that is that's just that's a preamble to the scene coming up which is amazing that, that, that's, that, that's, that, 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 that suggests just a, a nice level of, of confidence but that, that whole that whole interplay with the, the household when they gathered and the, the back and forth, and just it's one of the first times where you sort of think that, that the Cluzo himself is is maybe he's, he's gone beyond being awkward and accident prone, and now it's almost like he's starting to sort of buy into his his own mystique. You know, he's 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 been sort of lauded as you know this this brilliant detective. You know, the one who's, who's Cover the pig pan for twice and so on, and when he's wandering around in that room and just dismissing anything that anybody else is saying, 
because he's just in his mind. I think he probably thinks he is Poirot. Uh, and <laughs> the the line about when he's for reasons he's got a iron glove <laughs> attached to himself <laughs> with the the ball and chain yeah. and just aims at a, 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 a passing fly destroys his Steinway piano <laughs> all of this just it just happens and when when the housekeeper reproaches him about it you ruined that piano. What is the price of one piano compared to the terrible crime that has been committed here? But that's a priceless Steinway. Not anymore. <laughs> that's a, that's such a good way of just ending that conversation. Dead. It's just like yeah. <laughs> uh, I wasn't aware until researching for for today um, that Blake Edwards initially had the idea that this would be a three-hour sort of. Um, uh, what's the word you got? You know, like um, the Great Race was kind of films. Oh yeah, enormous. You know, which is a great film, by the way. I don't know if you've seen that. Yeah. Mm. Yes, yes, a long, long time ago. Yeah. Mm. Uh, but yes, I mean, apparently, yeah, I, I think that's why there's so much material that ended up in Trail because there was, I think, about maybe close to about, I think, forty minutes actually didn't make. The oh, right. Of the film. Uh, and so yeah, it it's. I've seen some critics describe it as the funniest of the series. It doesn't have the same depth in terms of the plot. Heft. The plot is so mm. yeah, it, because the plot is so absurd. Uh, it it doesn't have the same feel as things like shots or return. Do, do, do you know what I think lets it down a, a bit, and could have easily been removed or not included at least, mm. is the the Gerald Ford. The, the US president, which is clearly modelled on Gerald Ford, and then you have yes. someone modelled on Kissinger. Okay, this is going to sound like an absurd comparison, but I know exactly what you mean. It's making me think of the third Naked Gun film. Mm. And you know how the, the, the climax of it is at the Oscars? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And there are a few gags in there about reading out like sort of nominations for various awards. And there were a few sort of gags that are aimed at Hollywood generally there, like Jurassic Park, for example, that kind of stuff. And they're completely incidental to Trebin. Got nothing to do with him. Yeah. Uh, and things like that... Yeah, when I saw that at first, it made me sort of think, yeah, this is a bit sort of... This is a bit sort of off. I know we've talked before about the last series of Bottom, for example, and the, the, the finale to the first episode of the last series of Bottom. Mm. With the giant hand appearing mm. and what have you, and that just gave me the sort of sense that of, yeah, this is a this is different now. This although, is, although I would argue that the twenty five minutes leading up to that was some of the best. Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. everything up to that point. Mm. Yes, absolutely, it's, it's, a, it's a great episode. But as soon as it it almost just steps out of its own universe, and I know what you mean with the scenes with the president and what have you here. Yeah, it feels it feels like that. Yeah, and and also, um, Dreyf uh, is getting erased essentially. Now, this is the thing, because <laughs> uh, that in itself, you'd think, would preclude him from holding <laughs> um, a high-ranking you know, position yeah. uh, uh, in uh, the police force mm. uh, for the, the, the sequel. Um, but I would have said, even more so than that, uh, holding the world to, to ransom with a giant ray gun that they can wipe out entire cities 
you'd sort of think, yeah, he's not likely to be getting parole anytime soon. Mm. And yet, in in revenge, when the 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 premature announcement of of Clouseau's death comes through, yeah, it's like he's he's he's, he's cured. That's nice. So that that's nice for him. But that also leads him to just automatically take up his old position again in the force, which you sort of think that's a wee mm. bit of a stretch. It, by revenge, I was tired, and I, I was tiring, I guess, of the series. By revenge, uh, I, I love Shot in the Dark. I love Return. Uh, Pink Panther is is great when Salas is on screen, and also other bits. Don't get me wrong. Um, I, I really like Strikes Again, although there's bits that I kind of oh, you know, a bit too cartoonish for my tastes if you like a bit too broad maybe but revenge i i, I really struggle with but by the way was revenge the the, the phrase except for viewers in scotland oh was blimey. was that yes. was that revenge or was that return okay no now here's the thing okay i've got two little two little short tales to tell about mm. uh, the enjoyment of watching the panther on screen um the first time i would have seen the pink panther itself and I'm being slightly circumspect about some of the details mm. involved in this for reasons. But um, the Pink Panther was shown by a television channel in 2000. And it was shown in early peak viewing on a Saturday night, which seems unusual for mm. a 37-year-old film. Yeah, And... The reason that that sticks in my head is because I vividly remember, and I actually went back and checked this to make sure that the memory wasn't playing tricks. I vividly remember them saying that this was the first of a, a Peter Sellers season that was going to be on this channel. And they had the Pink Panther scheduled for this Saturday evening. The following Saturday evening, they intended to show Return. For whatever reason, shot wasn't in there. Somewhere in the week between the Pink Panther airing and Return airing, Return vanished. <laughs> and didn't air in that slot and was eventually put out some months later uh, in the afternoon. And I am strangely fascinated by this because my gut instinct is that I think it was a nice idea, first of all, to have... A, tribute season to Sellers for the yep. 20th anniversary of his passing. But I suspect that somewhere in the, the chain of command, somebody's looked at this and thought, oh, the Pink Panther. Here's the first of the Pink Panther films with Peter Sellers. So naturally, we'll start with this one, and then we'll have Return of the Pink Panther. That would make perfect sense. Whereas, as we've discussed in this show today, the first half of the Pink Panther is David Niven's film. Mm. And as I was watching it at the time, uh, this this is an era, early 2000s in particular, the terrestrial channels were a lot more sort of trigger happy when it came to pulling things that weren't cutting it uh, for viewing figures. There are instances of some shows disappearing from the big terrestrial networks after one episode in the early 2000s. The early 2000s is a, is a strange sort of limbo period where a lot of the big hits of the 90s had finished and the new incoming shows, things like X Factor and Strictly and so on, hadn't come along yet. 
yeah, I, I remember watching it at the time, and that scene where, I'm not going to be crude about it, but I mean, Lytton's trying to get his leg over with the, the princess. Yeah. The suite and what have you. That scene goes on for long enough. That, that scene is 10 minutes plus. Yeah, man. And I remember thinking, this is this is dragging. This is too long. This is this is not gonna hit the the, the viewing figures that they're hoping for. Mm-hmm. And evidently it didn't because yeah, somebody had a change of heart by the following week. If they had started that season with the turn, even though it would have looked odd to begin the season with the turn, I think they probably would have seen it through. Yes, I, I think because revenge uh, went out in the very same slot on New Year's Day in ninety four. Mm. on a different channel uh, as a lead-in to Noel's house party. Uh, and the whole tone of those three 70s films is such that it, it's perfect sort of Saturday evening viewing. There's lots of running around, things exploding, all manner of silliness and so on and so on. So, yeah, I, I was always intrigued by how it came about that the Pink Panther itself ended up in that slot. In case it sounds far-fetched that... You know, a big network would, would would make sort of such a sort of strategic error. A different network, some years later, had a carry-on film scheduled for ten twenty-five on a Saturday morning. Nothing wrong with that. Of course not. How, how could you possibly go wrong? <laughs> Except that they'd selected carry-on Emmanuel. Oh jeez. Uh, oh jeez. Somebody spotted it in time, and by the time. 10.25 on Saturday morning arrived, Emmanuel had turned into Carry On Spying. <laughs> but I would love to have been on that email chain <laughs> for the, um, the oh my god, what have we done uh, you know, conversation uh. occurring. Anyway, um, Revenge. Revenge of the Pink Panther debuts British TV Christmas Day, 83. I didn't see it then. Too much going on. You know, yeah. Kid running around for Christmas. Way. It gets a repeat on Easter Monday of 1985. All except for viewers in the central Scotland area. I cannot begin to tell you just how much of a monumental pain in the arse (laughs) I made of myself that day. Mm. Just boring the rest of the family with the fact that this damn film was on and not on where we were to the point where I was fiddling around with a colour TV in the living room trying to get it in a futile effort to be able to pick up another region that I knew wasn't going to work. (laughs) Having conversations with the family about the fact that there was a hill that was nearby and was that blocking the reception from another region and is there some way we can get past the hill hill. or over the hill or through the hill Mm. or move the hill. (laughs) I needed this bloody radar machine for that. That would have been perfect. Doomsday. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yes. And yeah, I, I remember all this so vividly. And it was 1992 before I actually got to see Revenge for the first time. I hired it from the video shop. But it, is, it became a lovely treasured memory because at that time the subtitles for programming uh, was not on a regional basis. It went out nationally. So if you had a program that was being subtitled, it didn't matter where you were in the UK, if you put the subtitles on, on Teletext, you would have got the subtitles for the national program. So I got to enjoy the local Scottish regional news with its doer presenters discussing, you know, employment figures and the latest inflation forecast with subtitles on the screen saying, not now, Cato, this is not the time. This is a time. 
<laughs> Again, just just something that that has been lost to you know, it's technology today. Twenty twenty two. Exactly. Kids today yeah. just don't. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I actually, I actually, I'm quite fond of Revenge. I, I don't, I don't mind. I know that it's not the strongest of the series, but I really like the fact that there's, there's a lot more of Bart Quok in this mm-hmm. film compared to some of the others. I like the fact that he's got an expanded role beyond you know, the, the, the initial fight scene. It's 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 my um, my wish that at some point in the future somebody I don't know maybe it'll be like a Jimmy McGovern mm-hmm. like a, a drama like that or you know yeah some sort of gritty police procedure or maybe something like that that this played absolutely straight for like six episodes not the slightest comic relief anywhere. And yet, there's just one little moment where our sort of lead detective does exactly this, where he's in the middle of sort of uh, thinking aloud about where the case is going, and uh, he's coming out of all these his little sort of pearls of wisdom, and then just nudges his his Nella region slightly too close uh, to an oscillating fan. Ow! I would just, I would love to see that done in just something that was utterly straight <laughs> otherwise. And then just, just drop that in there and leave people thinking, that that little bit was a bit odd. It? <laughs> that, that, that didn't go anywhere, did it? Was that, was that like, uh, 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 what, did he, what was what's Hitchcock's thing? What was that What was that called when he dropped something in? Oh, MacGuffin. Oh, yeah, hmm. exactly. Yeah, you think, yeah, that, that's got to go somewhere. <laughs> you know, he's, he's, he's not going to go and, you know, shred his, John Thomas, just for you know the sake of well, no, no, hang on, hang on, laugh, hang on. MacGuffin is generally the 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 plot device for the whole. Film. No, I'm I'm thinking of, of like not a, not really a red heading as such. Well, maybe it's a red heading. Know, but yeah, yeah. But, or a red, um, anyway, a red I, John I, I, Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just yeah. Uh, the, the the next time there's there's one of those you know uh, new to BBC television. Uh, you know, a, a harrowing portrayal of whatever. Oh, yeah. I just want that mm. bloody scene in it somewhere. Um, <laughs> also, um, the little scene outside of the nightclub where Cluzo and Cato are trying to sort of clamber their way up. They're trying to you know, sort of bounce on each other's shoulders. I've got to believe that this is... That when we spoke before about the things that the sellers and... Edwards would have cooked up between them. Mm. I've got to believe that this must have been one of those instances. There's a point at which they've they've already attempted this once on roller skates. They've ended up flying backwards to a bakery. So Cato is holding an eclair. (laughs) And Cluzo says to him, get rid of that. And Cato looks at it for a moment. Doesn't see anywhere to put it. And just holds it out. For Cluzo to take off him. Cluzo takes it off him. And then he just looks straight down the lens. Mm. And it is absolutely perfect, Oliver Hardy. Mm. <laughs> it, it, it really is as if it is as if it's himself. And it and the fact that, that Cato was wearing a bolo hat at the same time as well, it just well, he, tops he, it. He does that yeah. in Shot in the Dark Sellers. Right yes. at the denouement, de- yeah. he he breaks the fourth wall, stares right down the camera with such an exasperated look on his face because nobody is taking the slightest bit of notice <laughs> in what he has to say. 
Um, yeah, so obviously there was a there was talk, there was plans for um, another uh, another uh, film in the Pink Panther canon, which was going to be called The Romance of the Pink Panther, and it was going to be Clouseau, of course, with um, Sellers was quite keen on getting Pamela Stevenson as the love interest, I believe. Fortunately, um, as we all know, um, Sellers died in in 1980 and so there were no well there were no more gary ah well uh, funny you say that because how can it be that we still have an all-new pink panther film starring peter sellers now i I don't know how i was introduced first to this bizarre oddity but you know based upon what i was saying earlier on about like never say never again things like that then straight away i would i would have this would have piqued my interest so yeah, um, I don't really know what to say about it, to be honest, because I don't think it deserves the the absolute hammering that it tends to get, um, purely for purely for the reason that it is very nice seeing extra sellers material, the material that Edwards had originally originally earmarked for a long version of Strikes Again. So it's nice to be able to see that material at last. Some of the little bits and pieces, David Niven and Burt Kwok, some of it was quite touching, some of it was quite nice, you know, knowing you know, the, the circumstances in, in which it's, it's, it's been made and what have you. Um, as a film in and of itself, it, it, it doesn't hold together because how, how how can it possibly? It it's it's basically because it's starting on a premise which it cannot possibly finish. So mm. yeah, it, all the stuff with Joanna Lumley and, and what have you. I, I think it would they would have been better served. What I think would have worked a lot better would have been if they had gone down the route of say that's carry on mm. or the best of Benny, mm. yeah, which I think was yeah. based upon. I think what Sid Caesar had done with his shows and what have you, if they had just made an out and out, here is simultaneously uh, all of your favourite Clouseau clips and a whole ton of new Clouseau material and still get the old characters in again to link it and what have you. I think that, that, I think that would yeah, have been, that would have been than in any yeah. That would have been perfect, yeah. Absolutely right. Uh, I just wanted to interrupt the conversation just very briefly to talk about Peter Sellers' Hollywood and Home Movies, which is uh, a unique online event as part of Jewish Book Week, London's International Literary Festival. They're holding a a virtual event via Zoom on the 5th of July at 7pm, hosted by film critic Jason Solomons and featuring guests uh, Ronnie Ancona, director Peter Lydon and Sarah Sellers. And they will be talking about Peter Sellers and uh, his life and his work um, and home movies. Um, Peter Lydon is a previous guest on this show. Uh, Peter is the was the director of the, the epic three-part Peter Sellers story from 1995, which we covered on this podcast, um, oh, I suppose, what was it, back in August, September sometime last year? And in 2002, uh, there was um, a a distillation of the Peter Sellers story. Uh, uh, And it was a a documentary called Peter Sellers as he filmed it, which was essentially um, just 
pretty much all home movie footage, footage that Sellers had shot throughout his his adult life. Uh, and Peter was uh, responsible for putting all that together. So uh, as I say, it's a conversation with, with Peter, with Ronnie Ancona, with Sarah Sellers and hosted by Jason Solomons. It's free. Um, in order to uh, get tickets, book tickets, go to uh, jewishbookweek.com and click on events and you'll see uh, it there, Peter Sellers, Hollywood and Home Movies. Uh, if you get uh, if you get a ticket, you will have access to the uh, documentary Peter Sellers as he filmed it as well. Yeah, I'm sure it'll be a very interesting and enlightening conversation and uh, the sort of thing that listeners to this show, I'm sure, would be very, very keen to uh, to join and uh, to partake of. So, uh, as I say, please check out jewishbookweek.com to uh, book yourself tickets for the 5th of July, and that's kicking off at 7pm. Now back to the show. You mentioned last night, actually, when we were, we were talking, we were preparing for this, you mentioned about there was some notion of Dudley Moore at some point. Yes. Yes, indeed. Well, supposedly his name was floated to step into the role for romance, which I I don't think that anybody coming in to play the role of Clouseau himself, I just, I don't see how that would have worked. I think it would have been catastrophic for anybody to have tried to play the role as early as 1980. Um, there are there's a handful of instances of actors stepping into another role because an actor has died and so on. One that springs to mind is the Roy Clark series Potter with Arthur Lowe, oh, yeah. which they already had the series three scripts written and the production all set up for Arthur Lowe. Robin Bailey took over the role for one final series, but he's obviously playing it in his own way. Um, you know, officially, he doesn't look like Arfalo for one thing, and he's not playing it like Arfalo. Uh, I just, yeah, I really can't imagine anybody coming in and and just trying to pick up where Cluzo had left. Because how 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 could you by that by that point? I know we spoke earlier one about Alan Arkin and what have you, and but I, I, by by that point, when 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 it's so it, it, it's it, it's it's so closely aligned with one specific actor. You just, yeah, you, you just, you can't visualize it, can you? Yeah, and by and also by this point, the character was so um, larger than life and and cartoonish. I keep saying cartoonish, but you know what I mean. Um, and the accent was so. I mean, the accent when the films begin in the sixties, the accent more or less is is it's a comedy French accent, but it, it it's certainly nothing like it was to become in terms of the strangulated vowels and. Uh, myth kind of level yes. that it that it reached. Yeah. As much as as much as anything else, of course, it would have been probably a catastrophic move for Dudley Moore's career because he was right on the verge of of uh, making Arthur, which was probably his, along with Ten was his biggest big screen role. <laughs> and, and, um, and if he turned down Arthur to to, to do Romance of the Pink Panther, uh, that that would have been yeah. Uh, and he he probably wouldn't have got the Mama's Boy gig. Either. Well, ex- exactly, yes. And for, for those uh, unaware, which is everyone except for Tyler and I, uh, Mama's Boy is a fictitious uh, Dudley Moore film, mm. uh, which went straight to video mm. and remained as the last video in the shop 
even when all the other videos have been taken out, you just sort of think, no, I'll just I'll just watch the snooker tonight. I'll I'll, I'll leave that be. It's basically um, the, the front cover of the tape is Dudley Moore with an enormous uh, dummy in his mouth and like in baby sort of outfit and sort of holding his hands up and saying, oh, what's what's a baby supposed to do? Huh? You know, uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> like, let's say it's not that far fetched, is it? I mean, it, 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 it sounds horribly weird. Yeah. Mm. It's on it's on movies for men. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to kind of define Clouseau's character because the, the character evolved over the years. But there's a quote, I read a lovely quote in a, a book about Sellers. It's, it says, Clouseau, by the look in his eyes, appears to be registering and reflecting upon the strings of misadventure. And no matter what, he believes he is fully rational and controlled. It's the rest of the world which behaves oddly, which is out of joint. And Sellers himself described Clouseau as having a lot of dignity. And generally speaking, he remains composed. And let you know, not in the scenes with Cato, but when he is interacting with people, generally he 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 keeps his cool. Well, certainly in the earlier films, I would say. Yes. Uh, I mean, for Clouseau, the character, not to be sort of dragged kicking and screaming from the courtroom at the end of the first film itself mm. shows that he's, yeah, he's, he's determined that he's going to maintain his dignity, even though he's been well stitched up. Yeah, and also he does have some self-awareness. He does, I think he does acknowledge yeah. it, how ludicrous he is sometimes. Or he can he can appreciate that other people may find him ludicrous. I think he perceives that. Um, and, and also, one of the other things, of course, is that more often than not, he's actually successful, isn't he, in terms of what he's what he's yes. setting out to do? Yeah, I mean, okay. It, it... One 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 character we actually haven't I don't think we've mentioned him by name is Francois. Oh yes. Who we first of all see in, in Shot of the Dog. Mm. Uh, and I think Dreyfus at, at one point actually says about Francois that uh, when he was under me, he had a promising career, but then he was assigned to Clouseau. Mm. And we're never really aware of any real sort of change in Francois's sort of personality or, or just his, his general sort of demeanor. But you could argue that Clouseau and Dreyfus, if you looked at their sort of CVs and what have you, you'd probably say, well, well, Dreyfus is, if you want somebody as a safe pair of hands, you've got to sign a case to him and what have you, you're going to give it to Dreyfus because mm-hmm. you think he's going to be the more experienced guy. You know, he's been more through, more through more things. And if you had a, an intricate knowledge of sort of how lucky or fortunate Clouseau's been in the past, You'd think, well, eventually his luck's going to run out. Yeah. You know? Whereas, you know, uh, yeah, Dreyfus is your uh, man's man. He's, you know, he's 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 the the guy for you know the case. But of course, in as as the years go by, Cluzo does maintain his his dignity and sanity to 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 degree. Um, whereas Dreyfus is 
much more easily sort of affected by uh, Cluzo mm-hmm. than he really should allow himself to be. Ladies and gentlemen, honored guests, dear friends, <clears throat> we are gathered here to say goodbye to a uh, a great man. <laughs> Not only was he a model police officer, a brilliant detective, <coughs> admired and respected by his fellow officers and all those who were fortunate enough, enough, enough to know him. He was, above all else, a modest man. <laughs> How would, for example, Dreyfus, uh, as an inspector at one point, how would he have coped with the number of assassination attempts compared with Cluzo? Cluzo seems to, to almost revel in the experience. <laughs> yeah. He seems to, to almost enjoy it in, in a way. And yes, he's, he's, he's frequently got luck on his side, but he does he's, he's rem- he is remarkably calm under pressure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he is... He is not always the the idiot that he's made out to be. He, he will occasionally lose his temper, but it will always be with people that he perceives as being beneath him, like Cato, like Hercule. When we, we all know that Hercule is cleverer than Glusso. Yes. There's a nice... I'd, I'd like to have seen more of this kind of thing. There's a nice little line in Return where he goes to the scene of the, the heist. Mm. And at one point he he's talking to the like the, the, the security of the local police and so on. And he says, uh the wax on the floor says wax been tested. And the reply he gets is wax is wax. And he says, Well that's where you're wrong. What is it? Is it English wax? Is it French wax? Mm. What? Uh and that just little details like that sort of show yeah, he's still got detective's mm. brain and mm. he's sometimes he is one step ahead of the uh, the pack. Uh, it'd, be, it'd be nice to, to sort of get more little bits and pieces like that. You know, you know the way that um, Alan Partridge at first sounded like, you know, a pastiche of David Coleman, yeah. of John Motson, yeah. um, didn't necessarily have a lot of depth to him as a character. And yet, as the years have gone on, quite often you actually sort of think, you know, he's got a point there. Um, <laughs> yeah. Or sometimes, you know, he will surprise you by the stance that he might take on a particular issue where you expect them to go a certain way and so and so on, and so on. Yeah, I think that, that more of those little kind of things about Clouseau would be nice, but the direction the films were going in, you're less and less likely to yeah, get that's that. Right. If they were if they weren't backwards and eventually you arrive at, say, shot in the dark, it would it would almost feel like the, the evolution of the character. Yeah, there was no space for for that sort of depth. Yeah. As you as you, as you got closer to the end really. The only other thing I would say would be um, it would be nice to see them on television more often because for whatever reason, I don't think that you necessarily see these turn up on TV as much these mm. days. They do occasionally show up here, there, whatever, but it would be really nice if, if, if any one broadcaster actually said, yes, we're going to get lovely you know, 
uh uhd prints mm. like if, if sky were to like get a whole lot uhd and actually do it in in the same styles they've done bond in the past so they actually include things like alan arkin in there as yep. well just do the whole thing in in in, in one go That'd that be, would be, be really nice would be and yeah. if uh, anyone is listening that has that clout <laughs> uh, make it happen yes um and maybe gary maybe one day I've, I've already said i'd like to cover shot in the dark and you know do a whole show on that um but i think return also warrants at some point in the future yes assuming this bloody podcast gets beyond the next year <laughs> or, or more well well let, 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 let's let's face it if if any if any episode is going to kill off it's going to be this one <laughs> so you want to you want to get the next one out as fast as possible um and uh yeah just just pick it up off the ground from where we are now uh and well <laughs> if, just... if yeah if, if if i don't get a whole heap of dms on twitter saying who the hell was that never well, i think i think you will have him but you, 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 you'll get you you will get a whole heap of dms yeah but yeah they'll, they'll yeah it would just be the word unsubscribe and people <laughs> trying thinking that this is how they delete it off the, the well, iTunes. You've been very self-deprecating there, Gary, and I and I thank ah, you yeah, for it. Well, but um maybe maybe you know sometime in the future you could come back and we could talk about the return of the Pink Panther in, in more depth, more detail. Um sit back and sort of uh wallow in it, maybe yes. sometimes. Because because yeah. uh, I've I've thoroughly enjoyed our conversation today. It's been a it's mm. it's been a lengthy one. And uh we, we sure as hell have veered off hither and yon haven't we but um yes. but no it's 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 the way i like to do these things it's where you enjoy doing podcasts as well i yes. know so uh, and i guess in some ways i've sort of picked that up from you guys so um so gary thank you of course thank you as always and uh as we said at the top of the show sitcom club is um an intermittent uh examination of old british sitcoms I think, I think- basically I think intermittent at the moment is being too generous. Yeah. But yes. Uh, there, there are there are many there are many shows in the archive uh, available at sitcomclub.com uh, and also at podnose.com as well. And uh, yes, indeed. Uh, yeah, we've we've talked about a lot of stuff since uh, when was it nine years ago that we started. Yeah. So yeah, there's a fair hundred or so uh, casts in the library, and chances are if you've got a favourite British supporting actor of yesteryear, chances are we have discussed them at some point uh, on the show. And, and of course, Jaffa Cakes for Proust is a similar format, but it's just talking about non-sitcoms, basically, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, sometimes we've, we've talked about um, sort of British B-movies. Sometimes we've discussed aspects of um, British popular culture, um, bits and pieces to do with like the sort of the outer reaches of the television schedules and what have you. Yeah, it's, it's, it's quite a mixed bag. We've, we've, done, uh, the, we've, we've done the Beatles, haven't we? Yes, yes, and and if you enjoy listening to uh, your lovely host here on the Good Pod, then uh, Tyler has been on many a show with us as well. Thanks again to Gary. Uh, next week I have a very special guest, so please look out for that, and I will see you then. Take it easy. Bye. <laughs>